So the big question is this, how can I live a life of purpose and meaning and still pay my mortgage? I had the good six-figure corporate job, but it got to a point where I felt like I was going to be sick every day on my way to work. I knew there had to be a better way. So I hung up my corporate suit and I put on my yoga pants. I've spent the last 20 plus years searching for answers. I've traveled to the ends of the earth, studying with gurus and teachers, chasing balance and clarity and crafting a life of purpose. I'm deeply passionate about helping other seekers and entrepreneurs do the same. I'm Leanne Wolke and this is The Epic Journey. Join me and my guests as I share lessons learned along my personal growth and entrepreneurial journey. Carla White was the first woman to launch an iPhone app. She's a success coach and happiness cattle prod who's helped countless people transform their personal and professional lives through her apps, public speaking, newsletters, seminars, and books. Her number one bestseller app, Gratitude, has been downloaded by thousands, featured on Oprah, NBC, The New York Times, and countless other publications, and continues to grow in popularity around the globe. Carla shares everything she knows about producing successful apps in her bestseller, Idea to iPhone. She also recently launched a podcast, Radical Shift, where she shares everything she knows about neuroscience and ancient wisdom in a way that's never been done before. So welcome to the podcast, Carla. It is an honor to have you here. Um, Tell us a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. Yeah, so it started when I was living over in London, and it was not the best experience, to say the least. I was, I had a lot in savings, and it was going away quickly. It was super stressful. Um, I think the biggest mistake I was doing is I was still going about entrepreneurship as if I was in a corporation as an employee, and not by, by, for example, not making quick decisions, not, you know, going with my gut instincts, not doing tons of marketing, not making big offers. And so I, I was playing kind of small and that job went to the wayside and I got a, a regular job again. I got an, and became a W2 again. And then, um, there through some, some personal events I ended up keeping a gratitude journal to help me with depression. And it helped so much that I thought, why isn't everybody doing this? It's so darn simple. It's so effective. Why isn't everybody doing this? And that's about the time that the iPhone came out. And I thought, well, I'll make an iPhone app and figured it out. It wasn't easy, but I did it. And it's been on the app store for like well over 10 years now and doing good. I mean, just a one person shop too, just me. Wow. How, I mean, did you have any technical background or how did you decide like, oh, I'm going to make an app? (laughs) Yeah. So I did have technical background. I have a master's in information systems, been dealing with computers ever since they came out. Um, And I was a programmer in a former life, a very bad one. (laughs) But I also worked on software projects. So I knew the basics of developing software. Now, 
I, I also knew design. I knew website design as far as not making them pr- websites pretty, but making them functional. How do you make them usable? And so I was trying to take what I learned from web design and from software development and apply it to making apps. But honestly, it's a totally different ballgame because the screens are smaller, the way people interact with them is different. Uh, Apple. I've never, I didn't even have an Apple product except for like those little iPod shuffles. So I was in the Microsoft world. So it was a huge learning curve. So, I mean, it's amazing. How long did it take you to go from the idea like, hey, this gratitude thing would be a great idea to actually having your app on the market? (laughs) Well, it took me, I think, probably about five or six months. Now, the, the SDK, the software development kit for creating apps on uh, the iPhone was really simple back then. You know, there wasn't a lot to it. So creating apps was simple because there wasn't a lot of features. Like you weren't pinching, you weren't doing all these different things. Um, so it's a lot more complicated, meaning making apps is a lot more complicated. But what um, what really was the... the the hiccups in the road was I tried to hire somebody to do the design and let's face it, apps just came on the market. Nobody knew how to design apps. And so half of my budget went to this guy to design it. And what he brought back was horrible. It was awful. So then I invested in Photoshop courses and learned how to create UIs myself. And the other half of my budget went towards a developer And uh, he, halfway through the project, said, I don't think this is going to work. I think apps are a fly-by-the-night thing, and they're going to be over by next year. Nobody's going to be using them. And that was like in 2008. So then I I was really devastated, and I didn't have any money left. And so I thought, well, what am I going to do? And I thought, well, let's see if you can take what you've learned and apply it to somebody else's project. So I went out to one of these outsourcing websites, Upwork, something like that. And uh, lo and behold, there were developers on that site for iOS, which surprised me because like, it was so new. And I met a guy in India who built it out for me. And he was just amazing. He was great. And the whole thing cost, in the end, to him was like 500 bucks. Wow. Yes. I mean, and and you were the first female to get an app in the app store. Yeah, yeah, there was no other women in the marketplace at all, which I think I stuck out quite a bit because of that. And so when I... and think back. I mean, there were only blogs and there was a little bit of Twitter. Like some people were using Twitter. Facebook wasn't a thing, you know, Instagram, none of these social platforms, Medium, none of these social platforms existed. So um, I would tweet out, you know, who's making apps out there? Where are my app developers? And I'd get connected with certain people. And that's how I met a lot of people was through Twitter or just writing to them on their blogs. There were a few people blogging about it, maybe two or three. When you were developing your app, were you doing it against like the clock? Like, hey, nobody has done this as a female yet. I'm going to try to get this out there before. Um, it was more against the budget. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, get, I went down to zero. I was able to put a little bit more in and, you know, like how much do I have left? And basically stripping out features, trying to just fit within what I had in my bank account, because remind you, I had a failed business behind me and I didn't have a lot left in savings. So 
I, I couldn't gamble a lot, which was a good thing. Um, it forced me to be be frugal and to learn a lot and to figure things out, which was really good because then I started an app agency after that and, you know, it gave me tons of skills. I wrote a book about how to make apps and, um, but, but against the clock, not really. I saw people producing apps and the success of those apps and that was very motivating. But in truth, I was thinking if one person gets this app and they don't go through what I went through mentally, then it'll be worth it. So I wasn't really thinking, you know, how can I make my money back? Right. Or even like the realization like, hey, there hasn't been another woman do this. This might mm-hmm. be interesting. Yeah. Because they were going to go, apps were going away in a year, right? <laughs> Do you have that guy's number still? Just email Oh, yeah, him we're still like... friends. We're still friends. <laughs> oh, he ended up app creating thing. apps for quite a few years, too. <laughs> okay, good, good. It's kind of funny, you know, when you hear something like that and our world is so different. Yeah, right? I know, I know. And it's interesting who gives you advice and what you actually listen to. I'm, I'm very careful about that these days now. Right. My my rule of thumb is only listen to the person if they've done it. Right. Like exactly. they don't get an opinion otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. What do you see? What's the number one mistake entrepreneurs made? Oh my gosh. I think it's more so... Um, uh, doubting themselves, not taking the action, giving up. Um, uh, when it comes to, I'm going to speak specifically with apps because I work with so many entrepreneurs who make apps. I think the number one mistake they make is they don't put enough time and consideration, consideration and research into their app idea. They just come up with this app idea, they hire somebody to design it out, and then they plow ahead and build it out. And they don't even spend like a hundred bucks on downloading apps and seeing what's already out there. They all tell me there's nobody else out there. And then when I ask, well, who's your target market? They say, everybody. And I, I, and I, I just think, okay, you're going to fail with both those suggestions. It just tells me you didn't do your research because there's over... I don't know, 100 million, 300, 500 million apps out there. There's something similar by this point. And for you to think that there's nothing else out there tells me you didn't do your research. And then to say that you want to serve everybody tells me that your idea isn't an app idea. It's a software. It's like for a PC or for a computer. Uh, Apps are very small, tiny little bites of activity on your phone. And unless you're Facebook, you know, they're not really much more than that. They're not supposed to be meaty. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's so true is really knowing your market and understanding what your idea is specifically and niching it down. Yeah. 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 How did you, you know, when you came up with this idea, how did you say like, this is the thing that I'm going to pursue? Like, I know you you talked a little bit about your own personal journey, but how did you know inside yourself that that was the path to take? Um, well, so I, I, my depression got pretty bad. So my dad passed away when I was living in London. I was having this failed business and wasn't dealing with any of the stress at all. I was numbing myself either through binge drinking, eating, whatever, TV, um, working. 
And at one point, my husband was really scared. And he said, it's time for us to go back to the States so you can be closer to your family. And that made it worse because then I had culture shock, build business, winter, you know, like all sorts of other things. And at its worst, I ended up in the hospital with double pneumonia because all that stress manifests in your, your body. And the doctor said, here's something for your depression and your pneumonia. And nobody ever said I had depression until that point. And it hit me. It just, it was such a wake up call. And, you know, I did what everybody else does when they have a big wake up call like that. You go to Google and you search (laughs) for the answer to your problems. And in that, in that search results, there was a story about these people. They didn't call it a gratitude journal. They just said that they focused on what was best in their life. And uh, and they kept writing about it and they made it like their center point, like all their pictures and everything in their life. And I thought, yeah, you know, I've been in this negative feedback loop because um, I blame myself for my dad's untimely passing. I was home in the States. I saw him just before he passed and I noticed something was off, but I didn't say anything to anybody and I kept quiet. So I blamed myself for not saying anything. And so I carried that guilt around. And when I read this article and I'm like, yeah, I've been focusing on what I did wrong instead of what I'm doing right. And so I just started keeping a journal and about two months into keeping that journal, I was out for a walk going through things I was going to put in my journal because I wanted to, you know, didn't want to have to think about it later. It's like, okay, I'm going to write about how I got a job offer from NASA. I lost some weight. I slept really good last night. You know, I was going through all these things in my head when it hit me that my life did a complete 180 from just a couple months earlier. And I thought, well, what did I do? Like, what, what pill did I take? And I was going through everything in my head and then it, it landed on that journal. And I just thought this was so simple. Like, I've got to tell the world about it. I I remember exactly where I was at. And one of the first things I thought of doing was writing a book. But I also realized that all the books that I read, nothing really stuck. Like, you'd read a good self-help book, a self-development book, and you'd feel good in the moment of reading it. But then a week later, it'd be like, eh, okay, I was going to do all this stuff. So, so I thought, well, I, and I had my little iPod shuffle in my hand. I said, well... Steve Jobs just came out with the iPhone. Uh, The SDK is coming out. I'm going to make an app. I'm just going to do it. And it was so crazy because I lived, I live in South Dakota. Okay. That's one thing. I'm like as far away from anybody who knows how to make apps as (laughs) possible. And where my, I was working for a government agency that was in a building like Area 51. Like it was out in the country and in the middle of cornfields and no internet access. So not only was I geographically isolated, but like also from the internet all day long. So I had to get up really early before going into my day job at like four in the morning. I'd get up, do research on my computer, figure things out, download all the tools, play with them, trying to figure all this out. And then I go into my day job and then I come home and I work on it at night and in the mornings and on weekends. And I did that for four or five months. And uh, then at the time, back then when apps were new, you submitted your app to Apple and then you just waited and your wait could be like a month long. And then they could come back with, oh, well, we didn't like this part of your app. 
you'll have to fix it. So then you, it takes you like five minutes to fix it, but you go to the back of the line and it could take another month before it got approved. So you just hold your breath. And when it got approved, it was boom, right out to the app store. Now you can tell Apple, don't release it right away. So, well, I want to release it on this certain date. So um, when it was approved, all of a sudden, it was like five in the morning. I was getting up, getting ready to do the next thing. And I got the email from Apple saying, your app is on the app store. I was, I have fainted. I was so excited. <laughs> and then did you, did you keep your job after that? Or did you leave? Or what did you, oh, what sure. was next? So, um, <laughs> what was interesting, because Twitter was the only thing. Then I had about 20 Twitter followers. And <laughs> all of a sudden that day, I was getting all these Twitter followers because I also had a blog and I was writing about the experience. I was writing about my dad. I was writing about keeping her gratitude journal. I was writing about yoga. I was writing about all these different things I was doing to help my life. And um, and I don't know if I didn't even have like a Google uh tracker on that to see how many views I had on the blog. I was so green. I was just putting stuff out there and like, whatever. So anyway, that day that I released, my Twitter followers were just like blowing up. I was getting all these messages. And then I started to get messages from major media. It started with USA Today wanted to interview me. Um, radio stations all over the world from BBC to like some little pudonk radio station in Oregon, you know, <laughs> all sorts of media were contacting me. And it was just in all these news outlets for years. Uh, I mean, like for a good five, 10 years. And, but it was probably out on the market for, I think, six months at least before I quit my day job, if not a year. So it was out there for a while. And then people, well, then what was happening were, was people were writing to me asking me, how do I make an app? So I'd write these really long, complicated emails back. And then I thought, okay, there's an easier way to do this. And, <laughs> and I took all those answers and I compiled them into an ebook and put the ebook out there, which was titled um, Inside Secrets to an iPhone app. And put that out on eJunkie and was making like six grand a month on downloads from that alone. And from that, I started an app agency because people were telling me, well, I want you to make it. And so I had an app agency for a lot. I still do, but now I do apps by application only. So at the time it was like, whoever wants an app, yeah, I'll make you an app. You're a trucker, whatever. I'll make you an app, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and now it's, I, what I do is I make apps that are, uh, lead magnets for funnels. So that's, I think, an untapped niche. That's a really good, because people are saying nobody downloads apps, nobody uses them anymore. Um, but I think people still download apps. My app gets downloaded dozens of times a day, if not over a thousand times a day sometimes. And, um, but you need to think of a bigger picture, not just making your revenues in the app store, like taking that customer on a journey and keep serving them, keep nurturing them and using the app as a way for them to find you. Yeah, that's brilliant because so many times people think like, oh, I'm going to, my, I, my cousin wrote a book and it was a successful book. It was published by Hay House. She won awards for it, but then it kind of just falls off. Like there's, yeah, you know, there's yeah. nothing beyond that. Mm -hmm. 
that's where yeah, people Yeah, and uh, I think books and apps, they go good together. So if you have a successful book idea, then you can, you know, marry the two and, and keep them living longer. Now, to, to use an app as a lead magnet, um, the features need to be super simple. Uh, I think one thing people when they have an app idea and uh, pretty much everybody I coached has wanted to put in all these additional unnecessary features to make it kapow, make it awesome. But app success comes down to 80% of app success comes down to a good design and marketing that has been really thought through. So basically telling stories that go with your app and that's what, what makes an app successful not a ton of features trying to appeal to everybody in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And that makes sense too. It's just more Mm -hmm. things to update to, or even more things to break or. Correct. Yeah. It takes longer to get your app to the market and like uh, more money to sustain it. And also people want less choice choices. They want it simple. They don't want Mm -hmm. a lot of selection to go by anything that interferes with them getting the result of the app is just making it more unnecessarily complicated. Okay. So I have to ask when you said that you used to create all of these crazy apps, what was the craziest app you were ever asked to create? Oh my gosh. I get that all the time. And there's a quite a few. So there was one that was a kitty alarm. So it was just kitty cat sounds, kitty, like a meow cat. And so it was all designed like a cat and uh, it was for people who miss their cats while they were traveling and their cats would wake them up. And so this way you could have a cat wake you up still and you could record your own cat or we had a selection of already pre-recorded cats. Oh my goodness. I love that one. That one was great because then like the marketing on that was so easy because cats rule the uh, internet, don't they? So. That was really fun. Um, But I think one of the worst ideas was, and unfortunately it was created not by this man, but by somebody else, was an anonymous uh, app where you could post pictures of social scenes. And so I did not want to create it because I was just thinking if it's anonymous and somebody goes into a bathroom and posts pictures of people like women and bath, like, no, I don't want to be a part of all this. And, you know, who knows what will go out um, on the internet with that if everybody can be hidden behind a wall. And so that was one of the worst ideas I ever came across. Yeah, I'll agree with that one. Yeah. (laughs) Um, How do you think people can find their calling? Oh, yeah, you know, I love this question because I I personally don't think that there's like this one big grand calling. I think there's a little light for each stepping stone along the way. And you pay attention to that light and not so much what everybody else thinks you're supposed to be doing. And that's your calling, like listening to your own heart, listening to yourself. And to have that big overview of what you're going to do with your whole life. I think that's impossible to know. I think that's almost daunting because if I like, okay, first of all, I grew up on a farm where (laughs) I was blessed enough to have a mom who was kind of cutting edge and she got a computer when they first came out. But for somebody to say, Hey, you're going to create 
software that's going to go on a computer that fits in your hand. No way would I even dream of that. You know, I thought best I would be is a lawyer, um, maybe a judge. That was like the top careers that I could have. Um, but uh, I, I think like for us to understand what our overall callings are, especially in a world that changes so quickly, I mean, more is quicker than our minds can keep up with. It's daunting to see that picture. So what is it that draws your curiosity and how can you nurture it? And how does that how does that overlap with market demand? Because there has to be a market demand for it. And when there's a market demand and it feeds your curiosity and your passion and your master of it, and you can charge money for it and money is the fertilizer on it, then it just keeps growing and growing and growing. Yeah, that's good advice. I think, I know my daughter's school just had a career day for like mm. the eighth graders <laughs> and she was looking at all of the job options and she's like, mom, this is like all they're offering. Like there's nothing on here I'm interested in. I was like, yes. That's good. That's right, good news. Right. But it was the same jobs that they had at career fair 35 years ago when I did it. Yeah, right. Isn't that something else? Uh, I think asking kids, like, do you want to be a policeman or a fireman or whatever? Like, my son recently downloaded um, the life game for the iPad, which is very different than the board game, uh-huh. somewhat similar, but uh, the top paying job was a brain surgeon. But I thought, well, is there an entrepreneur in that game? Because then you can do whatever you want. Like that's where your creativity is genius. You can get, make unlimited money. But whether you be, like a lawyer, a doctor, when you're tied to that dollar per hour, income, then you're capped because there's only so many hours in a lifetime. And right. And then you're trading your, your life away. A lot of the people that I work with are um, people who kind of get this niggly idea somewhere, you know, in their late forties or so sometimes earlier, like, gosh, my life doesn't have like the juice I thought it would. Mm -hmm. And they want to then take a new direction. Mm -hmm. Um, so it is looking at like, okay, well, what can I do? How can I figure that out? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the thing to anybody who has that pull at their heart, like Colonel Sanders from KFC Chicken, he had $500 of that, 50 bucks. I don't know. His government pension from uh, retiring from being a restaurant chef. That's all he had in his pocket. He took that money, made up some chicken, went door to door, sold it, died a billionaire. And he was 65 or 70 when he started. Yeah. Um, Grandma Moses, she created her first uh, paintings when she was well into her 70s and then ended up selling them for millions. So I, you know, this idea that we have this clock inside of us and we've went past some sort of expiration date of where the society needs our ideas has to end. That's, I mean, there's no age on ideas as far as who can generate them, whether you're young, like my son, he has businesses or older and you can start at any point. It's believing and having the confidence, not just in yourself, but in the universe that it will come together. 
How do you think you cultivate that belief? Mm, You got to take the chance. (laughs) You can't stay in a comfort zone. That's for sure. Um, If you're in a comfort zone, if you're not going outside of that comfort zone, for example, starting a podcast or writing a blog or whatever it is, sharing thoughts, if you want to be a thought leader, um, then you're not ever going to see what you're capable of achieving because you're just doing what you've already mastered. And it's when you keep going a little bit more out of that comfort zone, that's where the growth happens. And that's where the universe will come together. So I have a friend who she rode three oceans solo in a rowboat. First woman, I think the only woman to row three oceans solo. And she went from a hundred thousand plus salary a year in a corporate job to quitting that, living out of her van, and then deciding to row an ocean. And she wasn't athletic. I mean, she was somewhat (laughs) athletic, but not definitely not been rowing her whole life. But she had this idea and she said, people came out of the woodwork that not wouldn't have been able to come out of the woodwork had she not made that choice. So a lot of times, if you just make the choice, things and people and opportunities appear. But people are too scared to even just make that choice. And it's I I believe it's because 70% of our thoughts are negative thoughts. And they're the same thoughts we had the day before, maybe even 10 years before. We're just recreating that same life over and over again. And I believe that we've been conditioned to believe that there's a lack, there's not enough, there's scarcity. And because if you look at our kids, like I got two beautiful boys, they're naturally happy. They're naturally joyful. And over time, they, we all start to get more doubtful, more scared. Um, we, we are hesitant because we go through an education system where we're, we're compared to other people. Uh, it's, you know, do you, did you get an A? Did you get a B? How good is your handwriting? And we're going to value you based on what you can achieve in that realm. And so we believe that achievement is based on our grades, our looks, our age. Do we have a kid? Do we not have a kid? How big is our house? What kind of car do we drive? And our whole value system is so skewed. Whereas if you knew your worth, your worth is actually based on the impact you're making to other people. And it's not just the people that you can see with your five senses or here with your five senses or touch or whatever. It's the normally, or actually you, the impact you're making goes five people deep. So the ripple effect that you have by helping one person probably helps 10 other people that you will never see, you will never know about. So I always tell my clients to not value themselves based on their grades, what income, where their salary is, their title, anything like that, but look at the impact that they're making for other people and then place a value on that. Yeah, that's so good. I think that's, we see all the time people think like, oh, I can only charge this or Mm. I'm going to give it away for free. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, because if you give it away for free, they put it in the garbage, don't they? <laughs> they do. Like, I, yeah. I know things that I've really paid a lot of money for. Like, mm-hmm. I'm doing them, I'm showing up, I'm checking in. 
Um, if something's free, it could be the most amazing mm-hmm. thing, but I'm still not putting in the same level of effort. No, no. Uh-uh. And I, I, it's psychological. You don't have any skin in the game. You have nothing to lose. So why even try? Yeah. Yeah. What's the best investment you've ever made in yourself? Um, well, my kids, <laughs> but I think the best investment actually is one that I do every single morning and I call it, I call them my power rituals and I, I used to call it sacred sunrise, but now I do them throughout the day. And the reason I call them sacred is because it boils down to an acronym, which is silence, um, which is meditation or prayer. Uh, then the A stands for asking affirmations and appreciation. Uh, C stands for create. So I try to create something every day, whether it's something artistic or relationships or opportunities I create. Um, R is read. E is exercise, which I do every day. And then D is daydream or visualize. And I'm so committed to to doing those every day that it's completely shifted my life. Like the stress I can handle is amazing. I used to have this really deep uh, wrinkle right here in my, like a furrow brow and just from meditating or something, I don't know, it went away. And um, my sleep has improved. You know, I drink tons of water. I have way more energy. I have way more clarity, way more confidence. And None of this costed anything. One moment was so pivotal that it just changed. Like I went and traveled all over Europe. I went home, got an MBA, MIS. I I did so many amazing things based on just an identity that, oh, I'm actually smart. So, wow. Yeah. I have to ask, where did you study in Germany? Oh, I studied in Dusseldorf. Okay. Were you in Germany? I was planning to, I, um, in my sef- my sophomore year of college, I was taking a ton of units and the next semester I was scheduled to go to Heidelberg Oh, um, and my dad wow. passed away suddenly. So I didn't go. And then years oh later, God. yeah, years later as an adult, I had to go to Heidelberg. I walked around the university and, um, had my Heidelberg experience. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. What a coincidence. I know. So I was like, wait a minute. If you went to Heidelberg. Yeah, I saw your reaction. Like, what's it? Germany. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know, out of all the places, because usually France or Spain are the hot spots to go study. I wanted to go to Germany. I loved it. I would um, study and I would try to remember all of the German I, I needed to know because I knew that was my goal. So I would like write things in our room in German and my roommate thought I had absolutely lost my mind, but (laughs) I can still speak a little. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'm so glad I learned a second language. It just goes to prove like traveling, learning a language, whatever. It just goes to prove how much alike we all are. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That I think that that's true. Um, You know, you coming from a farm and then going to a totally different country to see people are alike. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. What's something you wish you knew starting out? Um, I wish I, I wish I would have had, mm, that's a good question. The winning lottery numbers. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> the, the, the price of Apple stock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Google. I don't know. Those are probably the one things I wish I would have known. Um, but no, seriously, like when I look back over my entrepreneurial journey, I wish I would have known how important it was to create a value ladder for my clients and resell to existing clients. I learned that rather late in life and, um, it's, and, and it, it's made such a change in my business, the, the creating a value ladder from clients. It's just such a difference than constantly trying to find new people and coming up with new products. So um, I, I think that's the one thing I wish I would have known. Yeah, that's such a powerful concept. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do you, how do you maintain your focus? That's a good question. So I really narrow my focus. I used to believe like with vision boards, you just put whatever you want on there and you try and clutter it up as much as possible. So you get as much as possible, but it just scattered me. It overwhelmed me. So I have very specific goals. Each year I sit down and I map out my whole year of what I want to achieve. And I have two vision boards. One is what I already already achieved that proves that I can do this. And then the other one reflects only what is in that one year's vision. Um, and then I break it down so it's in bite-sized chunks for quarter, for month, for week. And every day, if I don't do this, my day's a mess. It's completely unfocused. Um, in the morning, when I have my coffee, first thing in the morning, I go through my calendar, what I have to do, and I map out everything, like when I have my my chunked out time, what I'm going to do in that chunk out time, what time I'm going to pick up my kids, what am I going to eat, when am I going to make dinner, everything is mapped out. And as, I don't know, regiment as that may sound, and as boring as that may sound, it just takes out a ton of decision making. I already know what I need to do. I just have to glance down, boom, do it. Glance down, boom, do it. And it just makes things go so much quicker because as parents, we only have so many like minutes practically and you never know when they're going to get interrupted. I, I completely agree. I used to work for Franklin Covey and the more structured I was, it gave space for creativity. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because you, you're not so taxed on mm-hmm. making 100 decisions about what to do next or where am I at? What do I, what's, if you break down the process, you, you can do it. Everything is doable. Inch by inch, it's a cinch. That's what I always tell myself. It's such, such, a, such a good saying. I love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do you find inspiration? You know, that is contagious. I think uh, masterminds are really good. Just connecting with other entrepreneurs, they are so inspiring. Whether I just follow them on social or, you know, have these conversations together, it's, it's so amazing how much you can do just with one person believing in you or saying, yeah, I, I think you're doing really good. And also that little bit of hefty competition, you know, oh, she was able to do it or he was able to do it. I think I can do this. And that always ups your game just a little bit more. And I think that pushes you just a little bit more because like, I don't know, I saw a post today that showed 
um, I think, I don't know, three people that were just completely out there that are millionaires. And I'm like, okay, if they can do it, I can do it. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I think so. It's uh, My husband's always been a really like traditional business industrial guy. Yeah. And um, in some of the entrepreneurial circles, I've taken him to when he's like, wait a minute, that person's successful and that person's successful? As yeah. opposed to thinking you have to work 75 hours a week. and Yeah, exactly. Because part of it's business, part of it's show business. <laughs> and when you mm-hmm. can marry the two and entertain people, give them hope, because everything is hope, basically everything from a Band-Aid, hoping that'll heal, heal your wound to toothpaste, food, everything that is being sold is, you're just selling hope. Interesting perspective. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. What's been your greatest accomplishment this year? Oh, my gosh. That's a hard one. I think uh, my son and I started a business together. That was super fun to get him engaged in his second business. That was a big one because it was so random. Like it started at a dinner conversation and by Monday we had the website up and running. So that one was pretty big. Um, I launched a podcast that was uh, audacious. I've been dabbling in that for a while and finally got my act together and truly did it. And then I think the third one, and these are all things that I had on my goal list, uh, starting out the year, the third one is writing a book. And that's something that I, uh, I, I've been wanting to do since I wrote my last book, but the wounds of writing that last book are still raw. <laughs> And, you know, the book that I'm writing right now is totally different than a technical manual. So uh, it shouldn't be so, so hard, but even still. So those are things that I'm pretty proud that I was able to create. And then finding time with family and friends. I mean, to fit all that in, it's been amazing. So that's great. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful year. Yeah, absolutely. So you talk about the intersection between neuroscience and ancient wisdom. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, that's my favorite topic. (laughs) So uh, what's interesting is within the last couple of years, we're still discovering things on a scientific level that proves ancient wisdom. Like, for example, we're 99.999% energy. And if you took all the matter in our body and you squeezed it down, it'd be like the size of a sugar cube. So we're just energy. And we are mainly carbon, which is stars that exploded many millions of years ago. And that's us and that's you and that's everybody. And we're all connected in that manner. Um, But if you want to, to prove all this, scientifically, you can, you know, the brain is palatable, you can rewire the brain, you can create new thought patterns in the brains. Uh, It all just comes down to your identity and your beliefs. And I believe if if you feel stuck, if you feel stuck in an identity or a belief or a pattern, like this year is no better than the last one, or it's even worse, take a look at your environmental surroundings and see what you can get rid of. Marie Kondo your life, like the Facebook feed, the 
friends that you're hanging out with, the food you're eating, all that stuff. Like, see what you can get out of your life. The news, turn off the news, turn off Netflix, stop watching those things. And if you focus, like we talked about before, like your vision, your books, your daily routines are all focused on what you want to be, who you want to become, what you want to achieve. And you start to change that identity. You, I mean, you can go from a farm girl who thought being a lawyer was a big deal to like running companies, speaking multiple languages. You know, there was nothing in the cards that said, this is what I would be doing. All of this is self-created. There were no lucky breaks. There was nothing of that. It was, it was having a vision and focusing on that. And it's, you know, that's a bit of what is in the Bible. That's what's, you know, if you look at any of these ancient texts, that's what they talk about. And I think we overcomplicate it with, oh, the law of attraction isn't working for me. Or, you know, the, <laughs> it's working. <laughs> it's always working. You know, <laughs> it's just how are you applying it? And right. how do you want it applied? Um, and start with your health. I know a lot of people like to start with their wealth. Once I have the wealth, then everything else will follow. But really, if you don't have your health, nothing is worth it then. Yeah, I agree with that for Mm -hmm. sure. We Mm -hmm. see that a lot. Um, And sometimes by the time people come to us that they're so stressed that they their quality of life, regardless of how much money they make or don't make, they can't even enjoy it. And there's that discontent. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I always like to start with, with, when it comes to money, what is your emotional belief and relationship with money? Because there's so many people that I've worked with that they're making a lot of money and they're still not happy. In fact, they're more and more stressed. So what is it about money that, you know, where, where are you with that? And so having that healthy relationship with money is so important. Yeah. So another question for you, you talk about your top three self-empowerment secrets. What are those? Yeah. So uh, one of them is always taking time out for yourself every single day. And, uh, I like to get up really early, like around 4 a.m. I know that's not doable for a lot of people. Yeah. It's impressive. Uh, yeah. Uh, but even if you have five minutes in your car, in a parking lot, where you just turn everything off, close your eyes, and just take some deep breaths, that will have a huge, huge, huge ripple on effect. It, it's a compound effect. Um, then the second one is drink a lot of water. Uh, we are 90% water. We're mostly water. Drink water. I mean, our, all of our organs, even down to our bones, are water. So drink water. Uh, and then the third one is surround yourself in your environment with people who see, like, they. I don't want to have just Pollyannas who are rah, 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 you're the best because then you're going to start drinking your own Kool-Aid and you're never going to grow. So, but surround yourself with people who will challenge you, who will um, believe in you, 
who don't squish your dreams, who are doing like pushing their boundaries, pushing their comfort levels. Like you will be the sum of the people that you hang out with. Yeah, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Anything else you'd like to tell our listeners? Um, well, I, I think if you practice gratitude every day, if that's the one thing you do, close your eyes and just focus on on the abundance in the world rather than the lack, you will start to receive more abundance. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Carla. It was fantastic to have you here. Um, where can listeners catch up with you? Oh, well, thank you, Leanne. Um, you can, my, my website is carlawhite.org. That's Carla with a C. Or if you want to catch my podcast, it's called Radical Shift. And you can get that on any podcasting app. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much, Carla. I think one of the, my favorite parts about this whole journey is the people I get to meet and interact with along the way. And you're such a blessing and such a bright light. So thank you for that. Oh, thank you, Leanne. This has been such a great conversation. Yeah, thank you. I know it'll be valuable. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Epic Journey. If you enjoyed this podcast, I'd love it if you'd subscribe and leave a rating and a review. I truly hope that you got something out of this episode that you can use on your own epic journey.